You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's open our Bibles now to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, if you're visiting with us or you're kind of new to our church, hey, huge welcome to you. Huge, huge welcome. So glad that you um, are here. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, uh, in the seat in front of you. It's blue or it's black, and um, we'd love for you to use that right now, and you look at the table of contents and find in the New Testament where 2 Corinthians is, and we're in chapter 5, and we'll be going verses uh, 1 to 5 today, our Lord willing, through this message. If you really need help, someone beside you can probably help you too, and if they don't know, well, then we're in trouble, aren't we? All right? All right, but you'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 5, why is that such a big deal? Because I got nothing to say apart from God's word, all right? The only thing I have to say is what God has said, and every point of truth is coming from this book. Now, with 2 Corinthians 5, we start a new series, which is called, you should be in tune with this now, it's called uh, Made New, Made New. We're looking at the gospel in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, Lord willing, um, over the next four weeks. So let me ask you a question. Do you like new Do you like new? Well, if you're human, you probably do. Um, Our world uh, loves new. We have it within us to love new. New what? Well, new new anything and everything, basically, right? Um, New clothes, uh, new cars, new homes, new new gadgets, new handheld devices, new smartphones, blah, 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 new games, new hobbies, new food. Today I had to Take out of the fridge some food that was old, you know, like way past the due date, not good. Get rid of that, right? Bring in the new food that's also exciting. Um, we like new fun. Here's what I like new. I like, call me strange, I like new paint. Now, what I mean by that is I love a fresh coat of paint on a wall that's just been worn down. So right now in our house, I'm looking around and walking around right now, and I see the baseboards. When you got four kids running around at a pretty young age, uh, they get beat up pretty quick, all right? So I'm looking at baseboards and trim, and I see smudges and dirt and scratches, and everything within me says, I want to paint these things. Honey, can we buy some trim paint so I can start making these things look new, right? Because we love new. But there's more to this, too, when it comes to new. Inherently, we love new. We love new seasons. We love new days. We love new opportunities. We love new sense of health. We really love that. We love a new lease on life, right? We love new. Now, I get it. I get it. Because we love new in the sense I get this, because I think that we were created uh, by the Creator to love new. We were created with a, a longing for what's right, what's new, what's fresh, what's beautiful, uh, what's real, what's new. I mean, new and so many, new just doesn't get old. Is that true? New just doesn't get old. Well, actually, depending on how you look at it, new does get old. In the world's way of looking at new, it does get old, but that's why we're so obsessed with the next new then, right? Because the problem with something that's new, you get enough time and it becomes old, yeah. So then we want the next new. An example of this recently was I remember uh, seeing someone, he will left unnamed, but they, they uh, forgive them, they had an iPhone 4, 
okay? And the person seeing this person, with, if you're iPhone 4, no, no offense, all right? But, but I don't have one, but I don't have the newest one either, okay? But they were looked down upon like a lower-class citizen because they didn't have the newest. Isn't that amazing how it starts and goes, 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 goes? And we're all obsessed about getting the latest and the greatest because we want the new. So what we really want, it's the new, new that we long for so much. It's the next new that drives us. Now, stay with me here. Okay, I'm going with this. I'm going somewhere with this, right? This is where this series is so glorious and so exciting. Here's my question now. With all our obsession with new as the world sees it, what if there was a new that never truly got old? What if there was a new that actually got newer as time went on? What if there was a new that when time kept going, this new actually increased in strength, increased in glory, and increased in value? What if there was a new that conquered any and all old, a new so valuable that it exceeded all the riches on earth? What if there was a new like that? You know what I just described to you? There is a new like that. This is the new only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is one of the greatest purposes of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for four weeks, it's really the Lord unpacking his version of new. You want to see new? Here's what new looks like. I love it so much. In some ways, what we expect, but in some ways, not what we necessarily would expect. Here's our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 17, okay? Verse 17, our theme verse, kind of the whole chapter kind of uh, uh, runs around. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, a, tell me, a, a new creation, yes, and that means the old has passed away. Behold, tell me, the new has come. That's awesome. Someone is a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. So everyone who has ever lived uh, on this earth has been created by God Physically, okay, all people ever born have been created physically, but there are those who have been created new by God, born again by God spiritually. And there's a big difference. Everyone's born once physically, but not everyone is born again spiritually. Those who are born again spiritually, they become new creations. And listen, when God creates something new spiritually, old won't even get a foot in the door. Now, there's so much to say about all of this, but that's why we're going to take four weeks to do it. But here's the thing we want to see. Made new, the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, behind me, you see these beautiful icons. And the icons are representing each week of where we're going in the four, Lord willing, all right? And the first week, we're going to see this today. There's a tent, okay? Like, what's up with the tent? You'll find out in just a moment, okay? But the tent represents our human body. But when you're made new in Christ, this human body won't be there much longer, and you're going to get a new body in Jesus Christ. The tent will be gone. The house made by God is coming. The light bulb, new body, new vision. The second message is walk by faith, not by sight. It's God's vision for our lives. Third message, the heart. We get a new love. You're made new, you get a new love. You get a love for Christ, not love for self, love for Christ. Last week, we're going to see this is where our theme verse comes in. That's a sprout. That's a new life, new creation. That's the symbol of that text in the final verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, what's so amazing about this new, and this is again where we start this series today, is once you've tasted this new, if you've truly tasted this new, 
then you can never settle for old again. You can't. Like, you might struggle in a little bit, but in the end, you've tasted new, you want new. And when you, when you taste new and want new, what happens is you groan for new. When you've tasted the sample, you want the fulfillment. When you want the fulfillment, the Bible tells us we groan. We long for completion. We want to see it fulfilled because we've tasted it so good. And we want to have the meal then as a part of everything. And we long for that day when it's perfected, again, when it's fulfilled, when it's completed. And so that's why then our first sermon today is uh, made new and groaning, which I like that sermon title a lot, all right? I really do. Made new and groaning, and that takes us to our text here today, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Always got to do a bit of an introduction for the series, trying to introduce a little bit to the message, and now we finally get into it. Uh, first five verses, check it out, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. For, Paul says, Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, why? Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Brilliant. Verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us, notice, the capital S, Holy Spirit, um, as a guarantee. That's our text. Uh, here's, our, here's our truth. Here's the outline for our truth. Here's where we start today. The first truth is, is about understanding I am made new and groaning. Number one is this. Um, my current tent is temporary. My current tent is temporary. I've been made new if I've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been made new, and I understand then that my tent I live in, my human body, is temporary. And look at verse 1. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, no question what Paul's saying right here, is destroyed, you die, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the very first word in verse 1 is very important. It's the word for, okay? Now what is for doing in verse 1 of chapter 5? For, the word for, is piggybacking on the previous truth, specifically in the three verses that preceded it in chapter 4. Now 2 Corinthians 4 is another glorious chapter of God's Word where Paul is pleading with God's people to live for what's eternal and not temporal. So look at 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 16. I want you to, to see this, okay? So Paul says here, he says, So we do not lose heart. Why, Paul? Why do we not lose heart? He's like, I'll explain. He says, Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Now, why is that so significant and so exciting? You see that verse there? Verses 16 and 17? Our outer nature is wasting away, okay? That's our physical body. Uh, hands up, everyone in the room who's aging right now. Anyone aging? Okay, good, okay. So your outer nature is wasting away. But notice the truth here. Our inner nature 
is being renewed day by day. Why is that so glorious and so powerful? Okay, Think about it this way. This is awesome theology. The only thing in all of creation that is aging, yet technically is actually being renewed day by day, becoming more new, more glorious, more transformed, more powerful, more strong, more filled with hope, more reason to the only person, the only people, the only thing in creation that's actually being renewed day by day is the believer in Jesus Christ. Everything else in creation is living but dying. All of the trees, all of the animals, all of the unbelievers, every single thing in creation is headed toward death with no hope except for the child of God. The child of God on the outside, I love the Bible doesn't pull any punches, is wasting away. Thanks a lot. But it's true. We're wasting away. But inwardly, we're actually, because we're so focused on our tents all the time, we're looking at, our, at the tent, we fail to see the reality we're becoming more like Christ. Glory to God. Okay, And we're being renewed day by day. Then he says in verse 17, for this slight momentary affliction, are you in trial right now? Do you have heartache? Do you have grief? Do you, do you have pain? Do you have forms of suffering? Hey, um, um, hear me, and because I do too, but I'm talking to me too then. Um, your trial, my trial, it's slight. Your pain, my pain, it's momentary. Um, your affliction and, and my affliction, it's not that big a deal when compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See what, see what the Bible's always trying to get us to do? Don't look here. Don't look here. Look at where you're going to be. Understand what our reality is. There's a new life coming, man. It's, there's a whole other thing that's coming down the pipe, and it's going to be awesome. And the more we see him, and the more we see the reality, and the more we focus on there. What's, what's the whole point of these little verses here? Paul says, well, don't lose heart. You see that? In verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but look to the things that are unseen. Why? For the things that are seen, things we can touch, things we can touch, we can look at, this is all gone. It's transient. comes and goes. But the things that are unseen, faith in Jesus Christ, the love of God within us, the reality that we are born again, the hope of glory, Jesus within us, going to the things that we, our faith, things we cannot see, those are the things that are really going to last for eternity. And see, this is, this is what Paul does. It takes us into the beginning verse of chapter 5. You see? So this is what he's saying right here. This is the, the lead-in. So we come to chapter 5, verse 1, and building on this awesome truth of the gospel, the first thing, notice, Paul says, we need to know. He says, for we know is this, that my current tent is temporary. Now, by the way, notice Paul says, for we know. Not we think or we hope. Uh, for we know. Loved ones, look right here. Look right here. Do you want to be mature in Jesus Christ? If you want to be mature in Jesus Christ, you have to know this truth. What truth do I have to know? You have to know that this current tent is temporary. There's no chance of being mature in Jesus Christ if we don't know this truth. And if we know this truth biblically, we live this truth. How do we know the truth? We understand the reality, again, what's going to be. We understand the reality of what this is right here. We understand the reality of the hope of glory. We know it. We live it. We act like it. We make our decisions based upon it. We pray like it. We seek God like it. It changes us. If you and I want to be mature in Jesus Christ, we have to know the truth of verse 1 of chapter 5, and we have to live it. There's no chance of maturity apart from that. Immature Christians keep living for the tent. 
They keep focusing on the tent, the world, the things that are seen. If we want to be mature in Christ, there are no exceptions to this spiritual principle and rule. None. No exceptions. You're like, I'm the first. No, you're not. No, you're not. There are no exceptions to this spiritual principle and rule and truth. Maturity in Christ understands what's temporary and understands what's eternal. Notice what Paul does in verse 1. There's two contrasts. Can you see them? There's two contrasts. He contrasts the tent with a building from God, and he contrasts an earthly home with a house eternal in the heavens. One is temporary, one is eternal. I think it's fitting that Paul here uses the metaphor of a tent to describe the human body. Why? Because he was a tent maker. How aware would Paul be of the short lifespan and vulnerability of a tent? After all, it was man-made. But then Paul says in verse 1, he says, you can look at it there, he says, but we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What is he talking about? The resurrection body of believers that is guaranteed for everyone who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. He's like, you got a tent, but the tent's going to be gone, but a resurrection body's coming, given to you, the first fruits Christ proved for us. It's coming. It's coming, man. It's coming. A house not made with hands, rather made by God, eternal in the heavens. So once again, in verse 1, once again, we're seeing a window into the secret of Paul's passion and fruitfulness for Christ. Now, can you see, can you, can you see the secret of why Paul was so powerfully used in his passion and his fruitfulness? Paul is saying here, he's saying this in verse 1. He's saying, because my earthly body is just a tent, it's just a tent, it's temporary, it's transient, it kind of comes and goes. He says, the worst thing that can happen to me is the tent is pulled down. Meaning, the worst thing that can happen to me is that I die. And if that's the worst thing that can happen to me is that my tent is taken down, well, that's not so bad. That's what he's saying, because it's just a tent. That's not really who I am. The reality of my resurrection body that is to come, he's like, that's not such a big deal. I can die, but then actually I begin to live. If the tent is pulled down, when the tent is pulled down, loved ones, it makes way for the glory of God's house that is then promised for me. So a Christian funeral is sad for us. It is not sad for that person, okay? You do not have to feel bad for the believer in Jesus Christ who passes away because as they die, they begin to live. This is the whole point of this text. Paul's like, don't feel sorry for me, man. If the tent is gone, life is about to really start to live. So loved ones, what's mind-boggling then, what should be mind-boggling to every believer in this room right now, what's mind-boggling then, understanding the nature of the tent, human body, how much emphasis the world puts on the tent. It should be mind-boggling to believers. Think of all the attempts to dress up the tent, to beautify the tent, to support the tent, to remodel the tent, to decorate the tent. Think about that. But just remember, I mean, for the love of God, honestly, for the love of God, it's just a tent. We gotta remember that. It's just a, it's just a tent. It's a tent. It is. It's a tent, but you're like, but I, I like the tent. So this is an imperfect analogy I'm about to do here, okay, because there's an infinite gap between a human body as a tent, but it's not my, my metaphor, it's, it's Paul's, it's the Holy Spirit's, it's God's, between the resurrection body that is coming, the eternal house made by God in the, in the heavens. But here's a picture of a tent, okay? So people, this is, this is the human body that people are obsessed over. And this is a kind of a nice tent, don't you think? 
Look at a nice color. It's got, it looks like it's like in good shape. It's you know, put together. The pegs are on the ground properly, all that kind of stuff. But in reality, it's a tent. And when compared to our resurrection body that is coming, now the imperfect analogy, but here's the next picture, okay? This is, this is the house, okay? This is the house that we get uh, from God eternal, not exactly this house, okay? But, but we're, we're comparing, would you want a tent compared to this? Okay, no, no, hear me, hear me. I'm not advocating to go out right now and buy a mansion, okay? Uh, you're missing the metaphor completely, okay? What we're doing is we're comparing current body on earth with resurrection body coming by the Lord. Now, anyone in the right mind that would choose, back to the tent, the tent, okay, over, next slide, this, something's wrong with them, right? But go back to the tent. But people in the tent say, yeah, but my tent's got a skylight. I love my tent. I, I focus so much time on my tent. I put so much money and investing. And everything I want to do is about, the, about our, our body. And, and I go get procedures. And I do all these things about the tent. But wait, 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 but it's just a tent. What are you doing? The day's going to come. The day's going to come. This is destroyed. And then, put those light up now. And then, and then voila. <laughs> look, at, look at this. Look at the difference. Don't you see? This is, this is, this is the spiritual reality, what Paul's saying in verse 1. He's like, well, it's just a tent. But the, but the glory that is coming. For the, why would you live for the other when this is, this is going to be what's promised? But even, even this isn't nearly a good enough illustration of the contrast between where we are right now and what will be with Christ in our resurrection body. Every believer will live this. What's the point of all this? Don't live for the tent, man. Don't live for the tent. Do I take care of the tent? Yes, that's, that's fine. Take care of the tent. But don't worship the tent. Understand? It's powerful when we do that. Because after all, it's just a, it's just a tent. Yes. My current tent is, is temporary. So what are we living for? Jesus helps out a lot here in John chapter 14. Jesus says this in verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That is so great. He's leaving. He's coming back. You, you're with me. I'm taking you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Yes! That is awesome. This is the reality. This is the reality of, again, why we live. The ten can't do this. Jesus can. Jesus says, you're mine. You're coming with me forever in glory. Praise the Lord. That's going to be awesome. Now, what I want you to see here, the application of this theology is so important. The verse that immediately precedes these two verses is this one. Take a look. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says, in my house, sir. Father's house, many rooms. Notice, notice. The reason we don't get troubled and anxiety, worry, overly discouraged, ultimately, is because Jesus says, I got a place for you. Because I got some sweet eschatology. Last things. End times. Future glory. Because my current tent is temporary. But the real, the real house is coming. See, the application, it, it calls us, it calls us, higher. It, 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 it lifts us above our temporary circumstances. And loved ones, when this is lived out, this is so 
powerful. Now, what's one of the problems with Christian society, with, 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 with the church in our land, with, with the church around us? Right? What's one of the problems? Uh, many believers don't live this way. Many believers live as if the tent is more important than the future. That will not go well. That's no way to have passion and love for Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't serve both God and money. You can't worship the tent and somehow be fired up and fulfilled with the love of God. It just can't happen. But see, the starting point is, well, I understand that my tent currently is temporary. And this leads us wonderfully into truth number two, which is this. It's, it's, it's right to groan in this tent, loved ones. In fact, it's, it's biblical. Look at verse 2. Um, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Okay, so... Much of what we're learning in this whole chapter and our passage today can be described as the already and the not yet. And if you haven't learned this before, this is very important to learn as a piece of theology to carry with you in life. In this context, what we're seeing here, this means there's an aspect of the already in both salvation, our salvation, and God's kingdom. There's also, in this context, an aspect of the not yet pertaining to salvation and God's kingdom. Let me explain it. So if you're like me, you read verses 2, 3, and 4, and if you understand what's being read, you groan as you read about groaning. If you're like me, you groan of the idea of longing to put on our heavenly dwelling and we groan for that because everything within you says it's true, it's true, it's true. If you're like me, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Okay, that's the already. And yet you want so much more. That's the not yet. See, there's an aspect. We've tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sampled him, and yet it's not yet fulfilled in him. We haven't fully been saved from sin and set free from the presence and power of sin yet. That's coming. So those are already part. I am saved, but the not yet part, but I shall be saved. If you're like me, you've had a taste of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's been many moments where you're so overwhelmed with God's presence and spirit. You just, you can, you can sense it. That's the already. But then there's the longing for more. That's the not yet. There will be a day when his presence will be perfectly in every moment. Can you imagine? Every moment, the perfect, powerful presence of the Lord God Almighty seeing Jesus Christ face to face. If you're like me, you've seen glimpses of the glory of the Lord. There's been times where you have been so overwhelmed in worship at the glory of God that he's pushed you down to the floor and worship of him. That's the already. But then there's the longing for every day to be like, that's the not yet. If you're like me, you've savored of what will it be like to be rid of sin forever and if you're like me you 
You've had moments of powerful victory over sin and moments of walking by the grace and the power of God's Spirit and loving people as you're supposed to love them and praising God as you're supposed to praise Him and you're operating in the freedom and you've sensed that sin is diminished and you're growing like Christ. That's the already. And then you say, what will it be like when sin is forever gone? That's the not yet. That's what's still to come. See, this, this is why the Christian life is often such a struggle. It is such a struggle, loved ones, because we have tasted a sampling of the meal, and it tastes so good that we want to finish the whole thing. And that's how it should be in the Christian. But it's hard because you get a taste of it, but then you struggle to get another taste. And you're fighting sin along the way. And, and things happen. And hardship comes. But see, when you've tasted it, then you're just like, give me the whole meal. So I'm known for both sides of my family, my immediate family, my in-laws as well. I'm, I'm known for the guy like at Christmas and Easter and the big dinners that our family, to walk up into the kitchen as the dinner's getting ready. And I like to come and just kind of pick a sample just to taste it to make sure it's good enough. Anyone else like that in here? Anyone else like that? Okay, so I go up, man, you a lot of you, that's great. So I pick it up and I sample it. I'm really hungry and I taste it. Oh man, that, that is good. When's the meal, right? When's the, why do I often volunteer to barbecue? Well, really is because as you're barbecuing and it's cooked, you get to sample the first bit of that and bring on the whole meal. When you've tasted it, you, you want to feast on the whole thing. This is where we are right now as, as believers. Tasted the Lord and, and, you, and you want all of him. This is why he says we groan. We, we, we groan. For this fulfillment. We groan for this. And listen, listen. Groaning is good. Groaning is right. You know, a, a beautiful parallel text, and I recommend that you read it today, tomorrow, this week, to 2 Corinthians 5 is Romans 8. A beautiful parallel text. And in Romans 8, it says that the creation itself is groaning. If you know the text, you know what I mean. The creation itself is groaning to be freed from bondage and decay. You know why there's natural disasters? That's the earth. That's, that's, that's creation groaning to be set free from, from, from the curse of sin. The earth itself is groaning to see full redemption as God intended it. And then in Romans 8, the very next verse is this. It says this, And not only the creation groans, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. See, it is good to groan. It is right to groan. It is biblical to groan in this tent. Have you been groaning? If you're like me this past week, one morning you woke up and you felt like death warmed over. I did. One day this week, you've got to be kidding me. I woke up one day the past seven days and eight different injuries surfaced quickly. Eight. Ones I knew about from a past playing football, other ones I've never even heard of or felt before. Just eight different injuries appearing. You're like, you're just 41. I know, I know, I know. A lot of older people, I'm just telling you the truth, all right? This is where I'm at, all right? You wake up and you're just like, what in the world is this, okay? Then you have a cold and sickness punching you in the face, Right? When you anyone else there too? A lot of sickness going on right now, right? And you just you just you just feel you're, this this isn't going great. And then the worst part of it all, though, is you wake up and you realize, oh, I still have that thing called the sinful flesh. 
And then you're battling your sin over and over and over again. But then as I tried to get up and felt all these different factors of groaning happening, I thought of the text that awaited us this weekend. I said to myself, you are groaning. It's groaning, man. The injuries are groaning. Sickness, it's, it's a form of groaning. Battling the sinful flesh and hating it, it's, it's groaning. It's, it's right to groan in this tent. In fact, you know what? If we're not groaning in some form in some way, that's a problem. If we like this world and want to stay here forever, that's a problem. Groaning is biblical. It is so right to groan. But what do we groan for? The, the, the text gets very specific here, and I'm going to go through these uh, fairly quickly, but I want you to see in the text, what do we groan for? Well, the first one is on the screen here. We groan for our heavenly home. That's in, that's in verse 2. We groan for that which will be. It's biblical to long for heaven. Again, you look at our world right now. This week, quick survey of the news. North Korea, hydrogen bombs, really? You know, uh, terrorists are murdering their own mothers, really? You're looking around, um, um, in, uh, unstable economies all over the world, global, really, really? Looking around, police officers getting all this stuff and just all the hurt, all the pain, really, really? This, this world, really, really? No, 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 no. As believers, we want to love this world to bring as many people with us as possible for the reality of the heavenly home that is to be ours. We groan for that heavenly home. We groan for the heavenly home. Secondly, we this, we groan to be further clothed. Right there in verses 3 and 4, we're longing to put on the clothing, which is speaking of what? The resurrection body. A body that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Okay, so just want to close your eyes or you just want to sit still for a second. Just, just, just imagine having a body, okay? Physical, spiritual body. You're going to have a physical body in glory if you're saved in Jesus Christ. Imagine having a body that is subject to no form of sin, no pain, no disease, no blemishes, no weight where you wish it wasn't. Imagine a body of complete and utter God-created perfection. It's going to be a good day. In fact, I can sense the groaning in the room for that even now. As we should groan for this right now. You see there in in verse 4, it says, And while we were still in this tent, we groaned being burdened. See, burdened? Burdened is um, weighed down. Literally, it's, 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 I'm, I'm weighed down. So I want you to be encouraged by this too. Paul says it's very natural as a believer in Jesus Christ to not only groan, but to feel weighed down. You feel like you're carrying a, a tremendous weight as you walk through this life and, and, and want to persevere. I mean, I don't have to take a survey in this room right now to understand the amount of people who often feel weighed down. Weighed down by sin, weighed down by suffering, weighed down by struggling, weighed down by just trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I, wanna, I just want to tell you, man, I, I feel weighed down more than I care to admit. Sometimes it's hard to even explain. You just, you're, you're trying to serve the Lord to get here today. You, you feel weighed down. It seems just, it's just the way it goes. But then you, you look at the text, and you're like, but, but it's kind of supposed to be this way. Like, it's right to groan. It's right, in a sense, to have burden, to feel the burden because we're not made for here. We're made for what is, is to be. Because we've tasted and we've seen a glimpse, 
We've caught a window, a window into the wardrobe that will be ours, the clothing prepared for us. We groan. We groan for a heavenly home. We groan to be further clothed. We groan for this. We, we groan for death to be devoured by life. You look at the end of verse 4. It says, and, and what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's, that's so beautiful. So this is, this is a really good thing to groan for. Groan for life to swallow death. Notice here groaning. Groaning's not complaining. Groaning's not whining. Groaning's not like this stinks. Or when is this thing over? And then do you have any? And forget. I'm not gonna bring my kids up. Okay, very anyway. So, so, complaining or whining. That's not what it is. But groaning carries the idea of I'm on your tiptoes, trying to peer in. Groaning carries the idea of straining your neck to see. Trying to, you're, 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 you're intensely longing. Are we longing intensely for the reality of our resurrected bodies and the glories of heaven and, and, and death being swallowed up by life? I love that. That's an awesome picture, isn't it? Death swallowed up by life. Hey, uh, death and mortality, can you come here for a second? Death says, why? And life says, because I want to eat you. It's right in the text. Death, come here. Um, I want to eat you forever. And life's going to do that. Life will pick up death and swallow it whole, never to be seen again. No wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then death is swallowed up in victory. Loved ones, it's right to groan in this tent. Let's apply this right now. So when you feel body pains this week, use it to your advantage. Say, I'm groaning for glory. I'm groaning for glory. I mean it. I mean it. I was looking under a bed this week to get something that was stuck underneath it for my wife, and my older son was there, and I, I went to get up, and there were some loud, audible groans coming from Dad, and my son's like, what's wrong with you, Dad? I'm just like, I guess I'm just getting old, man, you know? And um, I really, it was just, it was like, wow, like, I'm not that old. I understand. I understand. But I'm just telling you, there's, there's groaning going on, you know? This text is helping me. Hey, this week when you're fatigued from fighting sin, use it to your advantage. Use it to your advantage and say you're groaning for glory. When you're struggling with, I hate my sin. I hate my sin. God's like, I know. I know. That's going to be dealt with soon, forever. Use it. I'm, I'm groaning. I am burdened for glory. When you look in the mirror this week and you're not that impressed, Right? I'm kind of being serious, like kind of, I'm kind of being serious, and you're not that impressed? In, in a sense, you're groaning, you're groaning for glory, right? Don't you love those people who tell you exactly what they're thinking? <laughs> a couple of people came up to me recently, you know, and one person said, hey man, you got a lot of gray hairs coming in. <laughs> thank you, thank you. What is that? It's groaning, right? And another person um, came up to me and said, look at your thinning on top there. Yeah, thanks, man, thanks. They go to our church. They go to our church, you know? And these are things that are being said. Listen, listen, I'm groaning, you know? I'm groaning. I remember, I remember once um, um, getting up and trying to get up, and again, one of these situations, and you're kind of like, oh, you look a little slow trying to get up there, Robbie. I'm just like, give me a break, man. I'm groaning. You know, you know what's the best? This, this past summer, I was at NBC, and I get down to pray as I, I, as I like to, and I was praying, and I had some real knee problems, okay? And like, it's been this weird bone bruise that happens underneath my kneecap, and there's sh shoots of pain that happens at the most unexpected times. And I was just finishing the prayer, I was about to get up, and I went to get up, and everyone's, you know, there, and this pain, the pain, it almost collapses you when it happens. And I was like, in Jesus' name, like that. And just like, it was just, and you're, and just like, and I look over my wife, and she's like, because she, 
because she knows, you know, like Robbie might be on his back on the front, you know. What is that? What is that? It's groaning. It's groaning. And I'm so encouraged that it's right, it's right to groan, okay? So you take that this week and you have fun with that, but, but apply it, apply it for real. We are not made for here. We are made for the world that is to come. And we have been created in such a way right now that we will groan a lot. And some of us are groaning more than others and you are young. I don't have any groaning. You wait, your, your turn's coming, okay? Your turn's coming. And you will see it as well. And here's what we find out. Made new and groaning. It's, isn't that so interesting? We're made new. We're made new with the hope of glory. And yet we groan. Because we've tasted. We're made new and we groan. Like, this tent, is, it's temporary. Um, um, it's, it's right to groan. And then just thirdly, finally, and quickly, um, my tent will be replaced with a house. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Look at what it says in verse 5. He, who's that? God, who has prepared, this, prepared us for this very thing is God. Okay, so um, our world has lots of promises made that aren't kept, right? But who's backing this, this promise here? God is. And if God is for you, I like your chances. If God has your back, I think it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. So the one preparing us for this, it's God. And God is true to his word. God will never go back on his word. You know, so we've tasted the meal. We've had a sample. Who's the chef? God. Dinner will be served. Dinner will be served. And then notice it says, who has given us the Spirit, Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. Now, isn't that awesome? So the Spirit of God is in, in, in us is an indication, is a promise. The guarantee there, the word in the Greek, the guaranteed, in modern Greek, it's engagement ring. So the man gives an engagement ring to the wife. It's a pledge. It's a promise. And if any sense of morality and honesty, integrity, that will be fulfilled. But God gives an engagement ring. It's like the marriage supper of the Lamb that's coming. It's beautiful, man. It's just all so beautiful. God's like... I guarantee it. I give you my pledge. I give you my engagement ring. I give you my Holy Spirit. If you and I have the Holy Spirit living within us, that is the only proof you need of what is coming, what will happen, and what will be the reality. The Lord promises us when the Holy Spirit is changing us and working in our lives, He is the guarantee of our future salvation. God has your back. God loves you, and God promises he will complete this. To end this message today, I want to honor two lives in our church family that have recently just exchanged their tents for glory. I want to put two pictures here on the screen for you right now. This is Ralph Haig, both of, and this is Mae Turner. Both were members of Calvary Baptist Church who became very dedicated servants of Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville. May's memorial service was yesterday here. She was such a dear, dear woman. Ralph, one of our most wonderful servants in our church, his service was today. And see, this isn't a concept of like, well, that might... Tent and tent on the outside 
they have exchanged their tents. But now because the Spirit of God was in Ralph and the Spirit of God was in May, right, right now, right now, they are living out the promise of the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And loved ones, if they could speak to us right now in a message like this in this text, they'd be like, listen, listen to what God is saying. Don't live for the tent. Don't live for the tent. The tent just won't, don't live for the world. Live for what matters. Jesus. And these are examples that have gone before us to show us the way and to show us what this is really all about.